Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Leora Karpolovsky or Karp, and our topic is Love Lives On. Today we are honoring the life and the legacy of Leora's husband, Sean Kopolovsky. And uh, we are thinking of his parents as we do this program as well, Lionel and Rona and his sister Melanie, and of course his children, Idan and Ashira. Leora has, is showing great, great courage in coming here today to actually talk to us. Sean There were two losses for Leora. The one was when Sean was stung by bees and being highly, highly allergic, he was trying to get to his uh, his, his EpiPen and at the same time phoning CSO, our um, community security um, organization, where he had been a volunteer for 20 years. He was phoning them to say he had been uh, stung and he went into anaphylactic shock and actually went into a, a, a coma. They, all his many friends were there trying to work on him from Hatsola, from Ezra, and from CSO. So for Laura, there have been two losses. The one was in the three year, the three years that Sean was in a coma. And the, the next loss on top of that, was when he actually passed away, which was in August last year. So it's still a very recent loss. Welcome, Leora, and thank you for coming to be on our program Thank today. you, Sue. Thank you. I would like to start by asking you, how, how are you feeling, first of all, being on radio? Sure. Yeah. Let's just get the tears out the way. Let's just, yeah, it's sometimes I wake up and I think, I can't believe that this is my life, that this thing has happened, that we've gone through all of this, but we have. Yeah, being on radio is a bit scary and daunting, but I'm here, and I just hope that by sharing my story and my perspective, um, that I can maybe help other people who are going through stuff. We're all going through stuff. Absolutely, yeah. and it does take huge courage. And you know, Viktor Frankl said that forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond yeah. to the situation. Yeah. And that's very, very clearly what you, exactly what you've done. That is all that we have, um, is, is our choice. It doesn't mean that it's always easy, um, you know, you, I always say there are some mornings where I, I lie in bed and uh, it takes me a while to choose to get out of bed and to get going with my day. Um, but it is a choice. Um, that, that is all we have, really. One of the things that really fascinated me when I was reading uh, uh, certain articles that you had uh, men, uh, written that you said that you believe that Sean's journey was a soul journey, that he's, the three years that he was in a coma, 
he went on yeah. connecting with people and and teaching everyone that knew him. Yeah. So, people who didn't know him. Tell me a bit about that. So from from early on, um, and people who know me well will know I'm not really a person who just accepts things and just says, oh, okay, well, if the answer is no, then it's no. I'm more a kind of a person that says, but why? Tell me how we can work things to be, you know. Um, and yet very early on, I just felt that this this is as it should be. I, I don't know why. I could never tell you why. Um, I, I always used to tease Sean that um, we are here to work out our past life stuff. Mm. And I always, whenever we used to argue, I used to say to him, this is past life stuff and we better resolve it now because I'm not coming back again with you to do this. We need to sort, <laughs> let, let, you know. Um, and so I do believe that we chose, my, my personal belief is that Anashomas choose their journey. I believe that we chose to come here and to go through this. Um, and so, yeah, we, that, that's been, that's been my belief. And, and I believe that he did choose those three years for whatever his Nashoma's reason was for, I, I often think that I don't know, I would have the perspective that I do if he would have gone on the day or a week later. I don't know that I would have the messages to share that I do. Um, and, and I, again, this, this is as it should be. We'll get back to you now. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm back on the Finding Human program with Leora Karpolovsky, and we are talking about, um, Sean's journey here on, in our Johannesburg in our lives and uh, Leora is is saying that she believed that he definitely had a reason for staying here in in his coma for three years. Leora back to you. Um, Did you sometimes when did you come to realize that he was not going to get out of a coma? Yeah so you know initially even the doctors would say they, they don't know. You know, the brain is the one part of the body that is, we, we know the least about the brain. And you hear of stories where people have a stroke or a traumatic brain injury and they're in a coma and they wake up. Um, they do scans and, and, um, it was, nobody could give us a clear answer. Um, and yet if I think back, the one doctor had said, down at the coffee shop after three days, the one neurologist had said to me, you know, I don't think he's going to wake up. And I looked at her like, how on earth? And you're telling me this in the coffee shop. Like, mm. so I do think that there were, there were signs even then, not that us as a family understood them. Um, but after having spoken to doctors and, and I never really went onto Google, but I understood that he's not waking up. And there were certain reflexes that he was showing, but not enough, you know. And and my understanding now is that actually, um, he, when they because when he came in, he was um, they sedated him. When they lifted the sedation, we needed to have seen something within the first twelve hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, there was never any change in the three years. Um, there was never any change from the day that they brought him in. 
to So the when he was taken in, was he incubated at the time? So he was on a ventilator, mm-hmm. yes, and obviously drips and um lots of adrenaline for the um for the allergic reaction. Um yeah. Did you have to make the decisions to stop certain treatment at the time? So that's that's an interesting one. So I I don't ever recall there being a discussion with me um, that Sean is on life support at the moment. If he comes off life support at any point and is able to breathe on his own, then we enter a whole other scenario. Um, I don't recall there ever being a discussion to say, do you want to take him off life support before he's ready and see, you know, he may just go peacefully. But the minute you are off life support in South Africa there, and, and alive, mm-hmm. they're, they're, overseas, they, they, um, my understanding, again, this is my understanding, is that they would um, stop feeding the person when there's no chance of a recovery. In a case like this, it was, it's actually called a persistent vegetative state. Um, but that is illegal in South Africa. I did not know that when Sean came off the ventilator, um, that really that that was it. There was nothing else. Sean, in in the um, two and a half years so that he was at the care facility, there were no drips, there were no catheters, there was there was no ventilator, there was there was just a feeding tube, mm. and 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 then you just wait. Mm. Yeah. And was his body still strong in yeah. that time? That is that is the thing. He was a young, fit, healthy, active person. His mm. organs were strong. Mm. He lost a huge amount of weight. He, you know, when you say skeletal, Sean used to weigh about 84 kilos, 85. I think after having lost all the weight, if he weighed 40 kilos, it would have been a lot, mm. literally skin and bone. Mm. And I know that you did say to me when we spoke on the phone that you had to also make choices about people seeing him. Yeah. What, 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 what decided you to make those choices? You know, that is such a, such a difficult one. Sean touched so many people's, um, lives and the whole situation and everybody just wanted to be there to support us. But initially in the very beginning, I just kept thinking, Sean would not want people to see him like this. You know, you're in ICU, you ventilated, you, um, and so it was really more that when he wakes up, if he finds out that everybody has been traipsing through his room and seeing him like that, he, it's an, it would be, he would find that very disconcerting and it's a, a invasive for him. So that was initially. And then as we understood that he wasn't going to wake up, I just felt, you know, I understand that, or I understood at the time people's hearts were in the right place. There's so little you can do. You just want to almost go there and pour your energy and your love into him. But I think, again, he would not have wanted people to see him like that. It was really about doing what I could to protect his dignity. Mm. And also for people, remember him as he was. It was a big responsibility on you to make that mm, decision. It was. Though. I went with what I felt um, was was right. And, you know, I'm sorry if I had upset Certain people, um, but really that was where my focus was, is protecting Sean's privacy and his dignity. And which uh, is an amazing thing to do, especially when you then have to do a lot of it on your own. 
a lot of those decisions. Um, yeah, to be uh, to be honest, I have not at any point felt alone in this journey. Mm. I have only felt the hugest amount of support from family and friends and and people who I don't know. Um, the the community as a whole. I think I wrote in one of my um, um, things that I said updates that literally you, I could feel the love holding holding us. Um, yeah, yeah. You can contact us on SMS three four five one nine, or you can telegram us on oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson. I'm back on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Leora Kopolovsky, and we are talking about her journey through loss. Leora, back to you again. Now, did when what actually? How did your days begin to? flow into one another when when Sean was in a coma? So initially, um, I mean, those first few weeks, I would get up at like four in the morning and and go and sit at the hospital, um, go home at like 11 o'clock at night, just try and shower and go to get a little bit of sleep. Um, And then... And then kids have school and there's a business to run um, but really the majority of my time was spent at, at the hospital, again, for the support of so many people that I was able to do that. And then after six months, Sean moved to a frail care facility, and I would go in the morning for a couple hours. I would go and do a couple things. I would go back in the afternoon. And then COVID hit, and then we weren't allowed to see him. Oh, but that must have been awful. So on the one hand, it was terrible, but what it did show me is that going and sitting there every single day for hours is just not appropriate and it's not healthy. So we weren't allowed to see him. They, the, the home was closed for about five months, mm. and when they reopened, we had to work within their restrictions, so we were allowed to go once a, day, once a week. Um, for about a half an hour only. You and his parents. So or? we took to, they get, they allowed us turns to go. Um, and they used to wheel him downstairs into the garden. It was very pretty there. And we would have half an hour or so with him. And then when things slowly started opening up with COVID, again, it changed. I never went back to sitting there all day, every day. Um, I would pop in and out. Um, and sometimes just for five, ten minutes, mm. just to drop something off and chat to the nurses and his caregivers. And so it kind of changed. But you, you get on with the business of living. Did you ever wonder where he was? Was he, did he yeah. look at you? Were, were his eyes open? So he, it's such a, unless you have seen, it's a difficult one to explain. So Sean had periods of awake and asleep. But when he was awake, he was not conscious. No, he'd never looked at me in a way that he consciously knew who I was. In fact, the, the part of his brain that deals with vision had been destroyed. Um, the part of the brain that deals, deals with hearing had been destroyed. Mm. The part of the brain that deals with movement had been destroyed. So it was, he was vacant. It, mm. and, and in some way, that was very much a comfort to me. Let it just, let him have no, understanding of where 
and what and how because actually that that would have been worse but but the doctors assured me as much as they could based on the scans that his brain was so severely damaged and mm. um, where his nashoma was is a different story so did you sometimes wonder where are you oh that's a big i used to ask him all the time where are you because you know for 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 me there's here with the living and then there's there when you're not living but you are you're alive but you're not conscious you're not this isn't living but you're not there um and we will never have the answer to that question mm. but I feel like his neshama was in and out, um, and and he was held and guarded. And you also, uh, you said to me that his neshama w- went on teaching, because if you think what mm. went on in his name, yeah. in in um, Melbourne, in you know all over the place, yeah. there were runs, there were chalabakes, mm. the rolling tehillim te- just went mm. on and on and on. Yeah. And very Quite much amazing. So. Very a message has so. just come through. Just when you're forward. Good morning, Sue and Leora. I can appreciate Leora's discernment in making decisions about where the people could see Sean in his coma state. Okay. Lee, my friend, I met you years back when Ashira had her accident and continued my journey with you up to today, where you are now not only my special friend, um, that was from, it doesn't actually say who that was from. Uh, the first one was from Mary Ann. This one is from Anton Lopez. Just hang on a sec. I'm sort of leaning across. No, that's not for me. Okay, thank you so much for those messages. If you need to send messages in, please do so on 34519 or Telegram on 061-895-1019. I have a few letters uh, from Sean's friends, but Leora's asked me to read them out right at the end because she said she doesn't want to cry right now. Um, Now, going back to your children for Mm. a moment, how did you explain to your children what was happening? Because so often at hospice we used to say children heard things through Mm. the closed door Mm. and it was so much more frightening than if you actually sat them down and explained what was happening. Yeah, this was, sure, you know, even I didn't understand what was happening at the time. Um, my, My kids have subsequently told me, my son specifically, that when he walked into the hospital that night, he actually thought that Sean had passed away. There were so many people there, mm-hmm. and everybody was coming up to him, bearing in mind he was 13 years oh. old. Um, and, and he said he actually thought that his dad had died. So I took the decision not to let them see Sean initially um, with all the ventilator, the tubes, everything. And Sean was so swollen from, from the allergic reaction. Um, How old was Ashira at the time? Ashira Ashira would have been about 10 at the time. So in hindsight, I don't know that that was the right thing. You know, again, after having spoken with my kids over the three and a half years, they have said that the the picture in their head of what Sean looked like was far worse than what he actually did look like. Uh. But I did what I felt was Right at the time. Mm. Once I understood that there was going to be no clear um, indication of what we were dealing with here, that Sean was not going to just miraculously wake up and be able to see the kids. And so after about two weeks, I think it was, I then um, allowed them. And, you know, kids going into ICU is a scary thing. It's Mm. not only 
what they're going to see of Sean, but the, you know, Everyone it's, else it's scary. Too. So mm. I tried as best as I could to manage that. I've always believed that you have to be honest with your children, um, obviously in an appropriate way, but they know when you're lying to them. Mm. Um, and I did not know. They would ask me, is daddy going to be okay? And I didn't know. And, and I, I had to tell them that I, I don't know. And you were also in a very in-between stage. You said that you were not a widow, Mm-hmm. But you had all these responsibilities that you had to be done, curatorship. and Tell me a so, bit about that. Yeah, so I had lost my husband, but I wasn't a widow. There, I, there was no sitting shiver. There was no – Sean was very much alive, but he mm-hmm. was gone. I'm, I'm a, a single parent. So in terms of the curatorship, when a person is not able to um, conduct their own affairs – the courts appoint a curator, um, which took 18 months for me to be able to mm. do that. So it was a very stressful time, very much in limbo. I used to get calls from from service providers asking to speak to Sean, the Netstar, the Vodacom, the bank, the whatever. And I used to say, no, that's fine. You're welcome to stand in line. We're all waiting to speak to mm. Sean. But in the meantime, I need you to help me with this because, you know. Um, <laughs> that was your dark humor well, that no, you I have talk a, about. Yes, a very, a very We're dark We're all standing sense. in line waiting to yeah, talk to Sean. Yeah, you uh, know, it kind of, what else can you do but sometimes – Laugh. It allows other people to breathe when they see that you can kind of have a bit of a a moment to laugh and to, but yeah, it's a very dark sense of humor. <laughs> and just tell me, what did your friendships mean to you at the time? Oh, everything, everything. People are amazing. And, and, and I do believe that everybody just wants to be there for everybody else. I do think that sometimes when we go through such a, trauma or even just a difficult time, you know, in our lives that we tend to shut down and go inwards. Um, Fortunately, I was able to allow people to step into my space and be there for me Mm. and help me. I asked so much of people and people were so happy to to step up into that space and be there for me. And and really, uh, that is, I am so grateful for for the close friendships and and some that I have developed after mm-hmm. um, after Sean's Sean's accident and many from before. How fantastic that they were there! Mm-hmm. I see that um, that message that I read out about hello, good morning, Sue and Leora. Um, I can appreciate Leora's uh, discernment in in your decisions mm-hmm. about Sean. It was from Leanne. Mm-hmm. Now, Leora, you know. You told me about saying to your children about, uh, I think it was, is it Neapolitan, uh, Neapolitan uh, ice cream? Yeah. What was it? Just Neapolitan. Tell me. Yes, Neapolitan. I so what I, so, so this is what I say, what I say to my children is that our hearts have capacity to hold so much. We don't have to just choose one feeling. So whilst we are feeling this huge, devastation literally our world has been turned upside down we can allow our hearts to feel moments of joy moments of gratitude moments of happiness to be able to laugh to Mm. to enjoy you know a moment with a friend or because we somehow seem to feel like we have to choose if I've lost my husband and I 
can in some way feel grateful? Does that take away from the devastation of the loss? And, and I say, no, that is, that is not. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like that tub of Neapolitan ice cream. Why? You don't have to choose strawberry, vanilla, chocolate. It all <laughs> comes in one, in one, one tub. tub. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same with our hearts. Trust that your heart has the capacity to hold even things that are completely opposite to each other. They can be just as true and take nothing away from each other. I love what you said there. And you also told me what you used to say to your um Grade R when they were about mm, to start that, school. Yeah, that's, that was the analogy that I used. That's mm. where it came from with that, that tub of ice cream, ah. all those mixed feelings about leaving grade R and going into grade one. And, and the excitement and yeah, the fear and everything mm, together. Yeah. Now, society on a, on the whole is not, they're not comfortable mm. with loss, um, or with grief. Did you find that? <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, people, it's difficult. It's difficult to look at somebody who's in pain and to just sit there. We kind of want to go into fix mode and, and, and make things better and easier. And when we can't, it's a, it's a, you feel powerless and, and we don't like to feel that and it can feel very uncomfortable. And so what I say to people is there is nothing you can do to make this better. There are no words that you can say, but what you can do is just sit with me. You don't have to say anything. Sit with me. Hold my hand. Remind me, I always say, remind me to look at the stars every once in a while because there are beautiful things still to, that we have in our lives. And I think, you know, grief and loss is the one thing that we all have in common. Mm. But it's almost that feeling of, again, it's, I don't, I, everybody deals with it in such a different way. And, and so I don't know if, if what I'm feeling is appropriate to tell people are just so uncomfortable about it. And if we could just maybe start sharing how it is for all of us, which is completely different. As I was saying to you earlier, even when I speak to another, um, widow, there, there are so many in our community, young, my age, my contemporary, I can never assume to understand what that person is feeling just because we've both lost our husbands at best I can try and figure out where I'm at and and what I am feeling but I can never assume that just because we've been through the same thing we feel the same mm-hmm. um and and that's a that's a big one but if we could just maybe start speaking about it even say you know I, I this is so uncomfortable I wish I had something to say I don't just be real and just say what it is as opposed to, you know, pretending that you don't see me in the aisle at Willie's. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that happens. Um, what about sending messages? How did you feel when messages were coming through to you? Yeah, so this, so this is, this is actually something that I took, um, we mentioned earlier, my daughter had an accident about 10 years ago where she lost fingers on her hand. Oh, and that's what Leanne yeah, was mentioning. There was a car accident and, and I, Sean and I were actually very private people. We knew, we knew, we know a lot of people just because of our roles in the community. But, um, and I would always feel strange to message people. You know, I want to intrude. I don't want to. And when Ashera had her accident, I received so many messages from people who I had never met before, but mm. they were, they knew what had happened and they were touched by our story. And from that, I took, and again, the same happened with Sean. 
when something happens to somebody and you hear about it, even if you don't know them, you can send a message. When you are receiving those messages, they hold you. Mm-hmm. You can feel the care and you can feel the love. So it's important. Absolutely. Just be there in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always say, I call it the law of more. Always just try mm-hmm. and do a little bit more. So if you didn't know the person and you weren't going to send a message, Send that message, and if you were going to send a message, pick up the phone. And if you're going to pick up the phone, go and visit. And if you're going to go visit once, go visit twice. Mm. Just try and do, just show up. It's really all we can do for each other. Absolutely, and I think we're incredibly lucky to be in a community that does yeah. hold us. Absolutely, quite honestly, absolutely. Just when you know, Sean was with CSO for mm. 20 years as a volunteer. Yeah. yeah. And was that important in your life? It was a huge part of our lives. Sean spent a lot of time at the CSO. Um, it was it was so much a part of who he was mm. and what he loved to do. And and we loved him. I loved him for it. That 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 was the essence of him, wanting to protect and take care of. People in our community, um, and yeah, it was, it was a big part of scheduling our lives around Sean's CSO stuff. I'm and, sure yeah, it must have yeah. been. But it was, it was so, it was a part of him. And have they been there for you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Isn't that wonderful? There are many times that I will meet somebody who will say, you know, Sean trained me at this, this, thing or that thing or he helped me with this or whatever and I've never met these people in my mm-hmm. life before um, but but he had a connection with them yeah and now that you are in a different grief mm. is does it feel different to you yeah very much what so. what is what are those feelings you know when Sean was here even though he was in a coma well with the vegetative state but I had a place to put the love um, so much, and, and there was a lot to to his care. There were caregivers to to deal with, and um, the medical aid, and the therapists, and um, his food, and all of all of that. But but for me, it was it was a place to put my love. It was a way mm-hmm. to care for him, to to love him, and and I actually, so many people say to me now that Sean has passed away isn't there a sense of relief and in a bizarre way I say well I'm I'm relieved for him because you know that he would be horrified to know that his body was like that for three years he was such a strong independent person but for me I would have kept him here for as long as possible because mm. I had something mm. it wasn't Sean somewhere to put but it was love. somewhere to put my love mm. um, and and with him passing away there isn't that, so it's a it's kind of about reframing and rethinking about well, how how do I do that now? Where do I put my love? It's something I'm still trying to figure out. And I'm sure you'll go on trying for a long yeah. time, because it is so different, and it's your journey. Mm-hmm. You know, you actually in one of your uh, articles that you wrote, it might have been on Facebook, or you you had a feeling before, and we'll get back okay. to that. Thank you. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. 
Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm back on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. And I'm back with Leora Kopolovsky, and we are talking about her journey through grief and in grief. Leora, you, you know, the, the Jew, there's a Jewish belief that the soul knows mm. that it's going to be departing. And often in looking back, yeah. people see what was actually said and, and why didn't I notice that? Mm. Well, you know, mm. was it a message? Mm. What did you find? Did you find that? So, yeah, in, in, in some ways. So, um, Sean and I had spent a lot of time that weekend before together. He was staying on a Wednesday morning, a Wednesday afternoon. Somehow that weekend that we had um, dropped Ashira at a party in Santon City and normally I would have taken and Sean would have fetched, but we actually went together and we just spent about a good two and a half, three hours walking around. We went for lunch. Um, and in fact, on the morning of Sean's accident, I, it was school holidays, so I wasn't teaching. And normally when I was on holiday, he, Sean wouldn't wake me up to say goodbye um, when he left the house, but that morning he actually kissed me goodbye and woke me up. And even when I, I remember thinking, oh, he woke me up, <laughs> but I, but I actually I properly said goodbye to him that mm, morning. Good Whereas normally that wasn't, he wouldn't wake me up. Um, and then, yeah, so so maybe in some way, in some in some way, there was a knowing. So you had a time that you, it was a special time because as you said, it was out of, it was actually out of context of time that you would normally have done. You would yeah. have done things differently. I mean, I think I probably was a little bit irritated that you woke me up <laughs> when I was on holiday, but, but I, so much great uh, gratitude that, that I did have that. So in looking back, you, mm -hmm. you, you could recognize that. Yeah. Another message has, has come through. Lee, you are a, a, a true inspiration. I'm truly the luckiest person to be able to call you my sister. Love you. Thank you. That lovely message. Um, now, you said there is no room for anger in your heart. Why did you say that? No, it's not. It's not that there's there's no room for anger. And again, I have to say, this is me. I, I this is how I have moved forward. Um, I, it's not to say that this is how everybody who loses a loved one um should this is this is just me i just I just feel again this is as it should be. Do I have moments of frustration and devastation and huge sorrow that just engulfs me and definitely but i I ask myself who am I going to be angry at? I can't be angry at the bees they were just doing what bees do. I can't be angry at Sean. He didn't know that that was going to happen. I feel to be angry at Hashem, that for me, there's never going to be a conversation. I never signed a contract when I came here that said if you do certain things, then certain other things won't happen. So you don't see it as a punishment? So I don't see, no, I don't see this as a punishment. Mm. I do feel like anger is a very consuming emotion. I think it's quite an easy, it's like almost... The one at the top of the pile, so we pick that one first. But it, it fills you in a way that does not allow space for anything else. And so I always say, try and go a little bit deeper. Is it actually anger or is that just the top of the pile and the easiest one to choose? Maybe find other words to try and describe what you are feeling. Devastation. Um, again, just this helplessness, whatever those feelings are. But I find that when you do that, 
it does leave space for feelings of gratitude. I can't mm. ignore the fact that I have so much to be grateful for. Again, it takes nothing away from what we have lost. But it also leaves a space for people to come into your life. Absolutely. Because I often think, I mean, anger is a very real emotion mm. and we're all entitled to anger. But anger, people do sometimes be afraid. They are afraid of mm. anger and they step out. They prefer often to see tears, strangely enough. So I think for me, um, you know, my mom once said to me, how, how do you not feel angry? And, and it's not to say that I don't ever feel. It's just that I choose not to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you go deeper, and as you say, tears, I, I cry a lot. Um, but I feel that instead of running from those moments, um, as I was saying to you earlier, that stop, drop and roll that we all yes. learned about at school with the fires. Yeah. Um, do so, that again. What, so, when would you do that? So, That's, you know, there are times I can be driving and a song comes on the radio or my mind is just wandering and you just feel this welling up of, of emotion. And, and instead of running from it and, and picking up the phone to phone someone to distract myself, adding more things on my list of things to do and letting it chase me for the day, just stop. I try and stop, drop into it have a cry on the side of the road or in my driveway before I go into the house or whatever it is, roll around in those feelings and you will find what I have found for me that that moment comes and it goes Mm. and you actually leave that space feeling a little bit better. There's, there's comfort in it. It's cathartic. So it's almost like a web and flow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Allow it. Don't run from it because it will catch you. Running is exhausting. Mm. Um, and those feelings catch up with you. And tell me about relationships. How have you consolidated relationships like with Sean's family, with your yeah, family? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it comes, there has to be intention behind it. Trauma and traumatic things like this have the ability to rip relationships apart, Mm. families, friends, all those kinds of things. I think for me, having a respect for each person's own journey and where they are at has been very important. Um, We are all at different places Mm. and we are all going through this and, and each one is just as valid. Um, and, and thank God we are a close family. We, you know, to go through something like this is huge. To have to go through it alone. And we, I'm not looking for more trauma on top of trauma. That's wonderful to hear. Now, Leora, I have a few, um, letters from Sean's friends. Can I read them out to you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The one is from Daryl Oberstein. Our friendship spanned over three decades. Sean was a true good friend, a brother. He was authentic. His willingness to step out to provide help and support to others cemented this. His integrity and loyalty added to his wholeness of being. He had a good sense of humor, a playfulness, and loved to sing to many a tune. He enjoyed nature and wildlife, whether through a hiking trail, fishing, or just watching it. I'm grateful for our brotherly bond, the time and growth shared, and incredible memories made. This one is from Mark Resnick. He says, 
Sean was the true definition of a friend and what it means to be a CSO protector. I've never met anyone who was as selfless as Sean. He was always up to help anyone with anything, no matter how big or small. He was always find a way through any challenge and make his mission happen. Sean's missions were always in line with helping someone else out. He was never wavering in his strong values and morals of supporting his family first, friends and community second. But he didn't put himself last because he loved to give and he loved to live. Nothing was half-hearted with Sean. He was a genuine man who was true to his core. He never got pulled off course with excuses or other people's politics and opinions. He said what he meant and did what he said. Chops. You'll never be forgotten, my brother. Your legacy still influences us every single day. I see that his his nickname was was there. Chopper. Yeah, yeah. Chopper. I'm being told to wrap up, but I just have to finish uh, these other two. Although I knew Sean from the time we were kids going on weekend trips with our families to warm baths together, he and I only really started our friendship at Beitar Camp. Ironically, it was then that he met Lee, and we have pretty much walked the same paths since then. When I think back to the many milestones of our lives, um, we did it all together. I'm cutting this short because I'm being told to wrap up. Um, he, he goes on to say, he and I spoke to each other every day. We probably saw one another five or six times a week. This is Steve Cross. Okay. Truth is, I still speak to him, not every day but certainly most days. And when he said, it's usually when I'm running up a hill and he needs the push from Sean, he said. He says, I miss him terribly, but you know that. I think there were, there, there, one of the lessons that he learned was to forever park the cars in our driveway facing forward so we don't have to reverse out. That was just one of his lessons. The others were bigger and bolder. And he goes on to say um, that I... Um, he was never needed to be the loudest in the, the, the room. My friend Sean was the t- toughest man I knew, and this is how I will remember him forever. Toughest man, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I was blessed to call him my person. And then this one, which I'm also going to have to cut down, was from Gary Carverberg. So those were from Mark Resnick. Daryl Oberstein and Steve Kraus, and this one from Gary. I first met Sean over 30 years ago when mutual friends of ours had us both over. He was quiet and unassuming. We got chatting and shared many in common interests. Anyway, he goes on to say, as the high school years came to an end, we remained connected through similar interests of watching Curry Cup and international rugby, drinking beers and spending time at nightclubs. He goes on about in the 20s and into the 30s, pushing the kids' prams together. As we got older, our lives were interlinked in so many ways. We saw each other most Saturday afternoons. We were founding members of a whiskey club which met monthly, went on regular family holidays and weekends, and every year did a multi-day hike together. I loved how on our hiking trips we'd spend most of the trail walking at the back of the group, chatting endlessly, just enjoying each other's company and silence. Uh, I dearly miss so many things about Sean, his quiet way, his naughty laughter, his sense of adventure, and his heavy-handed drink-pouring. I cherish the time Sean and I had together and the memories we made. I'm sure he is smiling down on all of us.
Leora, I'll give you these letters to Thank take because they are longer. And how blessed are we to still have these beautiful people in our lives who are there for me, Anidana and Ashira. What yeah. wonderful messages Absolutely. of friendship Absolutely. that lives on. And I'd like to just end with this. A great soul serves everyone all the time. A great soul never dies. It brings us together again and again. Beautiful. Maya Angelou. Thank you. Would you like to say anything to end? Just be real, feel your feelings, and just love your families. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your courage in being here, Leora. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Craig, and thank you, Vusi and Makundi.